0: On today's episode, I've got Rob Madden. Rob is a chartered physiotherapist and certified strength conditioning coach. He has over a decade of experience in high-level sport and currently works for Hintzer Performance, where he is currently placed as a performance coach with an F1 driver. On top of this, he continues to work with professional boxers, including Anthony Joshua, and practices clinically out of the Centre for Health and Human Performance on the reputable Harley Street in London. I'd like to apologise for the audio not being perfect in this episode, but please stay with us because it's a really interesting conversation with Rob. Uh, Rob's a great guy, which will be apparent in the episode, and he kindly shares his holistic but also very interesting view of performance, which for him is underpinned by being dual qualified and working in very different sports. Anything that we reference, you'll be able to find in the show notes at informperformance.com. But whatever you're doing whilst you listen to the episode, I hope you enjoy it, and please subscribe to the podcast to receive future episodes from us. Just want to say a big thank you to Tim Tam, a brand that makes vibration or percussion-based recovery products, who have really kindly sponsored the launch of this podcast. They are responsible for the power massager, and more recently, the pulse massager and both are great examples of tools that you can use for soft tissue recovery, especially when you're on the road. If you'd like to get your hands on a free power massager, then we're actually running a competition with Tim Tam. All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at informperformance. Send us a screenshot that you've subscribed to the DMs of the informperformance Instagram page. Then in a few weeks, we'll pick a subscriber at random to win the Tim Tam massager. And in the meantime, check out Tim Tam's Instagram page at Tim Tam Recovery. Rob, welcome to the show. And uh, thanks for giving up your time, mate. I know you're a busy man. Um, can you just outline exactly who you are and what you do and your background?
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. Um, it's good. it'll be good to chat. Uh, yeah, my name's Rob Madden. Uh, I'm a physiotherapist and a certified strength and conditioning coach Uh, through the NSCA and uh, at the moment I'm working as a performance coach uh, under uh, Hintzer Performance, the company, uh, with a Formula One driver and uh, I continue to support a handful of boxers um, including Anthony Joshua and Lawrence Apoli and occasionally a bit of work with Joshua Bratsy and I I work alongside a team of physios with um, with those to include uh, Ian Gat, who's um, head of British Boxing, uh, so we work closely together. Uh, and then I maintain um, I maintain my physiotherapy practice at the Centre for Health and Human Performance uh, in Harley Street, and uh, some some other private training and physio uh, in and around London with more of a kind of general population. Uh, but my main split of time is probably between. F one and boxing, and then I try to, if I have time back in London, I try to uh, keep a bit of variety and and uh, width to what I'm doing as a practitioner.
0: And were you a you were a physio before you were a strength coach, or or qualifying at, at least in that order?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I qualified. Um, what was it? Be now, but about eleven years ago, as a physio from Bristol UV. I think we we were both there, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I enjoyed my time over in Bristol, came back to London uh, and was lucky to start working in high performance sport quite early on in my career because that was where my passion drove me. And um, uh, yeah, then I, I was fascinated by performance and S&C and hung out with a lot of great coaches in the UK and Canada and uh, finally got around to doing my CSCS out of the States um, uh, a few years back. But um I've done a bit of the UKSCA uh, uh, courses and, and and quite a lot of personal development in SNC uh, over over my career.
0: That's good. So you're you're obviously dual qualified um, with the kind of athletes that you mentioned. You work with what what kind of capacity are you working with them in as a physio or as an SNC or or both?
1: Yeah. So uh, it depends on the athlete. So um, within Formula One, you typically find that the performance coaches are dual qualified and some uh, are more qualified in one than the other. So you find some are more uh, long-term physios that also do a bit of coaching and and vice versa. Uh, Some even are more weighted towards, say, nutrition um, uh, as well. So, um, yeah, you typically try and cover both elements um, which helps purely from a logistical and staffing perspective when you're travelling the world race to race you're taking one member of staff with the driver rather than needing to take a whole entourage uh, which generally works quite well and you find that also uh, in- includes the car support so you you know hydrate, making sure they're hydrated around when they're in and out of the car and keeping them at the right temperature and uh, maintaining the, the, the right environment for them so they can they can do what they need to do. Um, with with the other athletes, with with the boxers, I typically fall into a physio uh, physio realm, but uh, closely work with the trainers and SNC coaches around uh, making sure we we maintain a robust and thorough program around injury prevention and. Uh, making sure we're, we're periodizing things well and monitoring things well so we, we, we keep injuries, injury uh, injury risk low and, and uh, we keep the athlete healthy. So there's a lot of communication with, with say, for example, Anthony Joshua between a, a lot of us. Um, and uh, and that's, that's been a great journey because, you know, I'm, I'm working with some great people and, and learning a lot and always looking at ways in which he can develop, you know.
0: I'm guessing when you were, when when you're in that kind of multidisciplinary team with Joshua, that carries over to when you're you know more of the kind of one man band in you know Formula One. Do you find that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as well you you probably find it when when you were studying you you try and study what's the perfect answer to different solutions, and you realize in in elite sport that perfection doesn't exist, and you're always trying to optimize a number of realms. Um, but all sorts of things get in the way of that. So uh, whether it's politics or illness or you know just uh, all sorts of, of, of things that are beyond your control, um, working as a tight team to address those things and, and try and deliver the best you can is, is always always the philosophy.
0: Yeah. And when you're when you're in that um, you know Formula One environment and you're the you're the main guy supporting the athlete. Do you have kind of experts or other professionals that you can turn to if you need specialist help?
1: Yeah, that's the great thing with um, with the setup with hinter So there's there's a number of experts, including a fantastic uh, sports doctor and and a great nutritionist that uh, provide us very close support for the athletes. So if, if there's anything in terms of the illness or you know they need any medical support, that's really on tap for us and 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 and, uh, that's a great thing a great luxury and uh, we also have uh, regular nutrition support I mean it's generally you find that as a driver is uh, in the in the the young in their early years they uh, they spend more time learning and then uh, as they get older they they, they've got a pretty good knowledge of of uh, the realms of performance around nutrition and recovery and training and they're able to kind of uh, make have less contact time with with other practitioners if that makes sense. But um, certainly for myself, you know, my main realms of, of physio and strength and conditioning and everything that kind of encompasses that, um, I'm not a I'm not a pro nutritionist, and I, I I have decent knowledge, but far far from expert knowledge. So uh, I like to always try and get good nutritional advice and support um, with with all of my clients
0: yeah it's interesting actually because what you're describing is i guess a bit of a sort of uh, a, in a high quality way it's a generalist approach isn't it you're you're doing a bit of a few different things um which yeah I don't know about you but i find that you, when when you're training you're kind of taught to try and head towards being a specialist or an expert yes um, in, in something so i guess being a yes. general, generalist is quite different are you how are you finding that that kind of journey
1: yeah that's a, that's a good question and a good topic i mean um i i was very uh focused on my physio career uh, in its purity for the first five years probably and then became more and more interested in in the mind um how emotions change things and how 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 dri- you know how the personality of an athlete or just a general client is is so complex and can can create so many challenges um nutrition as i said is, is another interesting area and um i th- i think that it it's you can do so much in 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 those in those realms of of nutrition and psychology and training and recovery that actually sometimes if you're too specialist um you you can miss some really easy wins um and and i i probably shifted my philosophy to, to a more general outlook like in that fashion when i joined the team at chhp um you know people like james moore and greg white uh, the physiologist and dr mike Loosemore, jack kreinler all the directors there they just they opened my eyes to this whole world of um, multifaceted support and i wanted to learn more about different areas and I, as i say i'm not I'm not an expert in in those areas, but I, I can probably chip away at, uh, at different realms with with a client and if a client comes in who's overweight and has lower back pain and and is maybe in going through a divorce and is quite low in their mood, you know there's so much to get your teeth into and the back pain most likely is just a sort of out it's a, an output of, of Several things going on, and and uh, I think it's really important for us as coaches to be able to address those things. And if we don't feel comfortable addressing maybe depression or low mood around a divorce, then yeah, we bring in a psychologist or we bring in a mind coach to so that so that we can really look after the client. Um, and I think too much of the time, uh, I would say physios can just end up really focusing on small things, like if it's lower back pain, and they ignore all of those other things I've just said they're focusing on kind of articular translation at the lumbar sacral junction and really specific soft tissue articulations and things that I don't really feel are that important anymore. Um, when, when you need to, when you, when the big picture is right in front of
0: you, if, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. The bigger picture and joining the dots for it. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, obviously, you know, the, the context that you work when you're on your own, um, how does that differ to work in, in a kind of bigger team or, you know, I guess in a sports context, a, a full athletic team of athletes with, with lots of staff, how, how do you find the role changes?
1: Um, yeah, to be honest, to be honest, it's, um, it's really improved my, uh, my organization and, and approach to, uh, meticulous detail and trying to be one step ahead really because um the basis of what I do isn't that different but you've suddenly got a little bit more responsibility when you're on the ground of an athlete perhaps he doesn't have a PA or anyone to 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 do that side when you're on the ground so you're kind of you ending up doing a bit of admin a bit of kit logistics you're doing uh, making sure his his media commitments are uh, uh, are in the diary and he's he's making he's getting there on time and so it's not very glamorous but it's um it's it, it's it is important and uh, i would also see i've seen that with say for example with a j because of his brand and the amount of media he has to do that we really have a massive challenge on our hands between the performance team and then the the media team to really make sure that uh, everything is is timely and organized and that he's um he's not overdoing it as well so it's uh, that's been really really interesting for me and I've learned a lot about the big picture of you know a high profile athlete and how 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 you need to kind of consider so many
0: different things it's a lot of moving parts do you think the if you're looking at the kind of skill set difference between what you do and what a more typical, you know, uh, team setting member of staff would be doing. Do you think it's yeah. more interpersonal things and uh, you know personal attributes that allow you to adjust to it, or do you think there's a, you know, a harder skill set that you need?
1: Um, that's a good question. I, I, I think that personality is is integral. Um, I always tended to favour working with individual athletes, and if you look at my career, I, I did a lot of individual sport and not that much team sport. Um, and and I really enjoy the relationship building and the intimacy you can build with with a with an athlete one to one, and it can be really difficult if you've been in each other's space for for a week or two. You know, you, you see each other as much as you see your wife, and it's uh, it can be quite intense. But I think I think having a flexible approach is important, and uh, being a little bit of a chameleon to adjust to when they're when they maybe they don't want you around or or when they're in a really good place you're up there with them and when they're not in such a good place you don't want to be the guy that's pushing them to be too positive because you might you know that can go down that can go down the wrong way as well so yeah it's a challenge but I think um I think I think that hard set skills um you, you say, you, you mentioned hard set skills are absolutely integral as well to, to have to tick the right boxes that as a physio and as a strength and conditioning coach, you can deliver what that client, what that athlete needs. But beyond that, I remember Chris Price at the EIS when I did a bit of work with him. He always said to me that athlete management is 90% personality. And if you don't really get on with the athlete or you don't feel the energies there, then you probably shouldn't be doing the job or you shouldn't consider the job i think it's very important to meet an athlete before you take on uh, take something on like that
0: when you're when you're with an athlete and you know you're in a training camp or you're you're with them one-to-one leading up to a race or whatever the event is um i'm guessing at times it's quite an intense training and preparation environment how as a kind of professional working in that how do you um deal with that pressure and how do, how do you kind of Look after yourself as a as a coach or a physio and your kind of ability to be consistent and happy and and you know I guess offer your service optimally
1: yeah uh, that's a brilliant question, and one I struggle to keep short because I spend a lot of time thinking about it and working on myself as well as you know if you can't be in a good place yourself, you can't be a good coach, and that's you know people like Brett Barthamir would always say that you have to really truly know yourself and be in a great place to to be a good person for an athlete and if if you're confused or you're you're stressed uh it's certainly not the right place to be in um so i I try and keep my answer short because i don't want to i don't want to sort of go too deep but i would i would share two things um the first thing would be where it's gone wrong for me um where not not so much wrong but where 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 i was in a Fairly bad place after being on the road for two, three months in 2014 in the build up to the Sochi Winter Olympic Games. And I'd been traveling constantly from Canada to Europe to North America, back to Europe and then to Russia. And I shared a room with two other coaches who I loved, and they were great for about two and a half, three weeks in the Olympic Village. And by the end of the Olympics, I was so over it and so ready to have time to myself um i was pretty burnt out i was pretty exhausted and i didn't really want to see anyone when i got back i was uh, i was just focused on just having time to myself and after a few weeks i i kind of found my found my drive and my my happiness and my passion again but um it definitely taught me a lesson and and taught me that you know even even if you are on the road relentlessly you need to be able to find time to to do the things that you that make you feel good and to certainly have time on your own and to be to to, these days I I, you know I I I take it a lot easier as well in between I'm I'm very very fortunate that I don't have to work and see hundreds of clients when I'm off so if I'm if I'm off like there's a, a big fight's just finished or I've just done two races back to back or heavy period with the F1 driver, I can take a week or two off and take a holiday, you know, whereas in the in the past, I used to have to come back from a financial perspective. I'd be in a clinic jet lagged and it would just compound the exor- exhaustion and the stress. So um, I, I just try to keep fit. Um, I think we talked about it uh, the other day and the um, training or, you know, low intensity cardio when I shift time zones, making sure I get at least five hour, five hour, uh, five sleep cycles a night, so it's around seven and a half hours. Uh, eat as good as I can. Enjoy the old glass of wine, but generally, if I'm traveling, I, I try not to drink alcohol, and uh, I, I try to do the things that I know are mindful slash meditative for me as an individual. So, playing golf or uh, listening to music. Music's huge for me. So, being able to tap into my parasympathetic nervous system and Keep myself on track because you know the 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 time you go past that and you get into that stressed state, uh, your immune system suffers and I've been there many many times where I've had you know frequent colds or it flu because I've just been overdoing it and and then and then you're useless, right, Andrew? You're useless because you can't coach, you can't get close to the athlete. So uh, I think thank you for the question and it's nice to reflect as well actually and uh, it reminds me of which gives me a little reminder of uh, my current priority, so to
0: speak. (laughs) No, thanks for your honesty on that. Yeah,
1: I like. you know, one thing about me, anyone who knows me, is I'll always be transparent, yeah.
0: Which I guess, you know, if the athletes are aware of that as well, then that goes a long way.
1: I hope so, yeah, that's it.
0: And what I'm curious about as well, mate, is, um, you know, obviously when you're with these athletes and you're you're with them in, in person delivering your services, be that physiotherapy or be that training stuff, um are you working with them remotely when you're away from them and you're at home
1: uh yeah that's a good question yeah i i do i do uh with with uh clients and particularly with the formula one drivers send uh cardiovascular training programs or or workouts where you know his, his training age is good enough now for me to be able to send a workout and, and know that he doesn't need me to hold his hand so that's good. And I, I work, I work closely with, uh, a, a guy called David Whiteman, who, who's a, who's a really great trainer. And we kind of, we always plan the week of training together and whether he's with us or not, we'll, um, we'll send regular workouts. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think the, the future with technology and everything is, is interesting. And I think that we'll be able to get better and better at the remote coaching. And, um, I think, sometimes i tend to keep it quite simple because uh, if you end up overdoing a excel spreadsheet with videos and hyperlinks you know it looks great but uh, i find the majority of clients don't really want that
0: yeah i think like you can put it on the dashboard but it doesn't it doesn't drive the car
1: yeah exactly i don't know how how do you find it do you do, you do much remote stuff yourself
0: yeah i do a little bit of remote stuff um i well actually you've just uh, slammed Excel, but I use a little bit of Excel, but I try and keep, I try and keep all of it on Excel. Um, i try to not use too many different um, apps or ways of kind of communicating data with an athlete. I try and just keep it all in one place. If I can, maybe, maybe, maybe two different things, you know, one for video and then one for one for the numbers and periodization or, you know, whatever you're dealing with, but I, I try to keep it simple.
1: Great. Yeah, I think alongside the monitoring, which, which I, I know we were maybe going to talk about, um, having everything in one place is, is definitely a good idea. And, and I think that with technology and cloud drives now, like whether you're using iCloud Notes or iCloud Excel or, you know, you're some, with the Windows equivalent of a cloud, uh, you can share live data with an athlete. And it's, it's a great way to kind of keep on track of things and um, share with, with, the, with the wider team.
0: I'm mindful you might have to be sensitive about this with the people you work with but are there kind of health and wellness or you know gym related data that you kind of personally focus on with your athletes be that F1 or boxing or whoever you're with?
1: Yeah I think um, without going into all the detail um, I think that monitoring is for me it, it can be done really really well and it depends a bit on the client how well it's done and, and in some, with some setups, I've, I've really struggled to get consistent monitoring um, and Pete McKnight, who, who's the head coach for HINTA and, and was head of chairman for the UKCA for a number of years, is a great guy and has taught me a lot about, uh, you know, monitoring and the importance of it because I know it's one of his real, uh, his real specialisms and, um, you know, I think that, Sometimes simple monitoring is all you need. Uh, I also think that we can overdo it. Um, So I typically, as as well as my colleagues, I really like to just get a simple RP and uh, time uh, on a regular basis, as well as uh, wellness, qualitative wellness scores on sleep and and mood and and, uh, overall muscle aches. Um, And then coupling that up with with uh wearable technology in in some situations and and uh you know that that's a a little bit of a different topic but i think they overlap nicely so um did you have any other points or or, or questions or thoughts yourself there in that area
0: yeah i guess like um i think the thing that springs to mind is you know like you mentioned rpe i don't i don't think that will ever go out will it you know we've got hrv is quite focused on at the moment and uh, Velocity is very focused on in an S and C world, um, you know, both uh, completely justifiable, I think in the right context. But I think, you know, some of the basics like is the athlete in pain? How are their doms, RPE, sleep? How do they feel today? Are they motivated? I think those kind of basic uh, wellness ones are kind of sticking around forever and they're very low tech.
1: Absolutely. I'll I, just to give a kind of example, I think um, just take a a, a boxer who's in kind of a heavy training phase and they've got a really busy spa on the Friday a busy day and a spa on the Friday and you're on you are on the Wednesday, you you've got two sessions planned, a, a strength and conditioning session in, in the morning, and then you've got a, a, a technical session in the afternoon, say on the pads. And the athlete comes in and says, Oh, you know what, I'm feeling a bit under the weather and they're, they're resting heart rates up and, and you generally feel like they're on the edge of getting ill and you have to be able to make a decision as an as an individual or, or as a team whether whether or not to to pull the athlete and, and I'm not going to say what the answer is but I think that's the typical challenge that we face and obviously in many, many environments and, and sports they have a set way of doing things so at Manchester United if that happened they'd probably have a point where they'd say okay we're, we're going to arrest this player and 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 so they're so they're healthy for the weekend um but then it's I'm sure I've heard like yourself I've heard lots of examples where that doesn't happen and they continue to push the athlete and the athlete breaks down or gets injured or gets sick so it's it's a it's a real challenge that I think when being able to be confident to push and when to pull and actually say to the head coach or whoever you know what I I really think we should take today off and and have a rest day um it's not easy
0: yeah and just use clinical reasoning and human judgment rather than kind of relying on the algorithm yeah
1: exactly I always thought that um it's a it's an interesting one because I I also had had a great chat with Robin Thorpe um who was at Manchester United for a long time he was the head of recovery and he 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 gave me some great insights to uh, how how they monitor things and and how, how they were how they were kind of looking after player health um, uh, and and also I read a, a really good article by Rio Ferdinand a few years ago when he he was talking about how we're being how it's possible to be overly scientific to the point where we're developing essentially less resilient athletes because we're monitoring so many tiny things that if we haven't ticked every box, we're then resting them. And his whole point was actually you turn up with a with a slight cold and and you know, your urine's slightly darker, so what crack on. Just make sure your fluids are up and you know, get on with it. And and actually that you know, you can argue both ways, right? And it's quite interesting to think how, you know, players back in the day with like George Best and Bobby Charlton and stuff. I mean, can you imagine what they were used used to do and you know they got away with it so who knows it's interesting it's
0: i think you can always you, you can put too much uh data and detail in front of the athlete and i think depending on their mentality you know can they handle those numbers and kind of stay clear-headed yeah. about them or you know do, does it does it occupy their mind in a negative way
1: yeah that's it and i, I know we, we talked about it the other day a, a bit about monitoring and i've, I've used typically I, I don't use much i use you know, the, the Polar H10 uh, for training sessions, I think is an amazing bit of kit for, for keeping an eye on accurate heart rate zones. Um, Apple Watch is great for the general population. And uh, I also have used the Aura ring uh, that many listeners might have heard of. And uh, really interesting bit of kit that has three sensors on the inside of the ring, one measuring heart rate, the other temperature, the other movement. And it gives you a great, of feedback around sleep and heart rate variability and all the other things we know get uh, get monitored with um, with uh, nighttime. And uh, just as you've just said, I've found that it gives you so much data as well as giving you either a positive or a negative reinforcement in the morning. Okay, you know, your sleep wasn't great last night. You should take it easy today. Now, if that's around a spa or you know, it's anything important in a training session, or you know, even a race, um, that could be massively negative psychological reinforcement. So I think what I've learned from just using the kit is, and and it could apply to any kind of wearable technology, is to use it to improve that individual's ability to understand themselves and and self coach, as well, but not to use it permanently. And I think that there's all sorts of other issues that can arise people can become obsessed with their fitbit or their apple watch and it it's really i think it's really important to be able to as for you and i as coaches to be able to say okay cool you've given me two weeks of data i want you to go away and just not wear it now for a bit and um because i think that it can be it can be both positive and negative as a as a as a a technology
0: yeah do you find that you have to Do you you have any strategies for how you kind of get athletes' eyes off their data? You know, if it's like the day they're competing or um, they're getting close to an event, do you ever kind of try and take their eyes off that data strategically around those times?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Uh, Typically, we we try. if it's coming really close to a a major event, I would just avoid gathering the data, or, or at least, if I am gathering it, not allow them to access it. Yeah. Um, but the, the challenge being if, you've, if you're gathering qualitative data such as how's your mood, how did you sleep, how do you feel uh, physically, um, the, they need to self-reflect and, and, and that can compound. So uh, I guess, again, it's a bit like you have to be able to know your athlete and be able to reassure them if they are coming back saying, I'm a five out of 10 for mood. My sleep last night was a four out of 10 and my muscle aches a seven. And they're three days out of a major event, then you're able to sit them down and say, "Okay, this is let's let's come up with a strategy now, you know, for these next couple of days uh, around improving your sleep and and getting you calm, and and maybe you decide as a as a coach or as a team to say, you know what, let's let's not monitor the next two days. Let's just focus on things we can control and not ask for wellness." Uh, you know, I think that's just being able to adapt to to what we've got in front of us.
0: Yeah, I've got a bit of a, uh, a beast of a question to ask you, uh just to oh, finish oh, up with. Okay, are you going to um, put me on the spot? Yeah, and it's, it's going to be uh, <laughs> largely context uh specific. And I know you you may have to be careful about what you say um with regards to the athletes, but under this assumption that you work with an athlete closely one to one you could have all the time in the world you need with them or or a lot more time with them than you would say with an athlete in a team sport setting um what things do you focus on doing with them and how much of those interventions or you know types of training do you do with them given that you might have greater freedom of time with the athlete
1: okay um i would say my approach to coaching if it's just me is to try and deliver across four pillars uh being training recovery nutrition and mindset um now if we start with mindset i suppose either way whether i know the athlete or say for example it's a new athlete if it was a new athlete it's quite interesting to use that as an example because the first the most important thing for me would to be able to sit down with them over a coffee uh, for three hours or two hours at least and and just get to know them and understand their values uh, their their goals their, their their challenges and and you know their hopes and their aspirations and and their expectations for for what they want from you Um for me that type of interaction needs to happen on a regular basis and sometimes it can't happen and that's for me that's where it's frustrating if i'm if I'm with an athlete, but there's lots of other people around and there's lots of noise and the bigger the athlete, the more you find that it's 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 much harder to get really good quality one to one time with them but I think that type of conversation you you can have with an athlete regularly about how they're feeling and where they're at, and you know otherwise you can't deliver what you need to um and then really a split I mean the, as I said earlier the nutrition I would always ask for a real pro to come in uh, to support me and then I'd be on the ground to monitor how how their how their consistency is with their nutrition so then to just go on to the other two areas training and recovery um would would again would depend a little bit on the individual's training age um but I would I would spend i would spend kind of 50-50 on each because i think uh, i was listening to a lecture the other day where the the coach was talking about well you you can't train if you're not rested um and, and we all know this so for me recovery is still just so under it's it's just under underestimated how, how how important it is in even in in real with real professional athletes um whether that's sleep or whether that's physical modalities to in, in, improve their their soreness um, and that that would be I suppose if you asked me this question five years ago that would probably I probably would have given you a different answer and I wouldn't have honed in on the recovery as much and maybe that's partly down to my own personal journey as well as I feel that the better rested I am the better headspace I'm in the the more I can deliver physically and, and as a coach so i know how important it is to to tick tick both of those boxes and if you're pushing yourself and you're not resting um you're just going to go backwards
0: i guess it's not too surprising but you have to you're still playing it by ear and basing it on how the athlete's feeling and presenting as to how much you can then get away with doing with the or focusing on
1: yeah exactly exactly and I, i've i've loved spending time with 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 different physiotherapists and and different strength and conditioning coaches who just have really taught me so much and you can see how well some people do it how they can adapt because we, we're planners right we love to plan we love to write a session and have all our loads and volumes planned and our interval reps and intensities and everything written out and then what do you do if you turn up and they're, they're complaining of a niggle or they're as we said earlier that they might be on the on the cusp of getting sick um and that that's that's the challenge and that's what that's what kind of keeps the job interesting i guess
0: brilliant mate that's a that was a big question and thank you very much for answering that one um thanks for giving up your time today mate and no worries um, i really appreciate those insights you, and honestly you've given us on all those topics
1: That's oh, a pleasure i hope it, I, if i can help one person that significantly improve someone's outlook uh, then i you know i feel positive about it and hopefully hopefully uh, yeah a few people have taken something away from it so yeah
0: yeah no doubt and where can listeners kind of keep up to date with what you're up to or follow you
1: uh yeah just going under rob madden pt uh and yeah i'm, I'm i should, probably should try and push a little bit more online i i haven't really i've been a bit lazy the last year or so but um yeah yeah maybe yeah you've given me a bit of inspiration to give it a push because i know you're (laughs) you're doing the same so the modern world's got to keep up with the youth right andrew
0: yeah exactly and (laughs) is that is that rob madden pt is that your twitter handle or is that instagram that's both
1: yeah both under the same mate yeah
0: that's right cool and uh last question is is there any um resources or tools or places that you'd recommend people go to you know, upskill and learn anything that you're using or following at the moment.
1: Um, uh, I mean, there's lots. Uh, I I think it depends on obviously depends on that individual's uh, path and whether whether they're looking at developing themselves in, in in one area or another. Um, what I would say is if they if anyone has any specific. Uh, areas they want to develop in then they could reach out to you and me and we could try and point them in the right direction uh i'm i'm really enjoying reading a book at the moment uh just called performance coaching by sir john whitmore uh that was actually recommended by james Moore, and i'm I'm really enjoying that and the one thing it's really making me think about is me as a practitioner um i don't question enough I, i i i don't give commands i'm not like that but I tend to throw information at people and particularly if it's in an area I know a lot about. Um, and I think it's very easy to do for us as a coach. So uh, it's just reminding me that questioning uh, as, as a style of coaching is everything. Um, and I'm trying, I'm just trying to upskill uh, in, in, in that. And, and, and I would recommend that book to to listeners because I think uh, we can all always improve in, in that
0: area. And is that questioning your kind of, um, activities and interventions of people, or is that questioning the athletes and what they're doing? That's
1: just using, sorry, to re-explain, um, using as questioning as a style of dialogue, uh, rather than, so if someone comes to me and says, uh, I just, I don't feel like I'm getting any fitter despite all the low intensity cardiovascular work I'm doing. So then, for you and I would think, oh, okay, well, we've got this. We know, you know, have have you heard about high-intensity training, or have you thought about this? And you know, and then we give them a, a bullet-point list of things to do that can improve their VO2 max other than low-intensity cardio. But the the way in which this book would encourage you to approach it would be to first challenge them on why are they doing it that way, and why why do they think that's the important way, and have they have they heard about high intensity training and and actually slowly try and get that client to almost find the information for themselves rather than give it to them on a plate and and that it takes more time and it's hard because it's not as quick and you know it makes it, it can be a more uh, frustrating way of interacting with someone but it, for me it's the the way the way we need to do it as coaches and a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, and get, I guess get all that information from them that you can.
1: Exactly. I mean, obviously there's a time and place for it. If you've been with an athlete five years, you're probably going to do it less. But um, I think in the early stages, we talked about when I'm trying to get to know someone, their values, their goals, their aspirations, uh, try and use more and more questioning to make them reflect on what they're currently doing and how they can, how they can change and evolve without giving them uh, without giving them just a list of information, you know I'm not perfect at it, and I, I think, uh I, you know Brett Brathwaite again is another I've, I've mentioned him earlier. His book uh, The Art of Coaching talks about it a lot, and, and and you know the actual interaction side of what we do I think is really really interesting.
0: It's definitely a hot topic at the moment, isn't it? The how you actually coach and your coaching health.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Well, mate, I think that's all we've got time for today. But again, really, thank you very much for giving us all those insights and, uh, and giving us some of your time. Uh, I nice, really appreciate
1: pleasure. it. Nice to speak to you, Andrew. And yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, keep in touch.